Friends, the title of my sermon this morning is, And They Shall Be Taught by God. Those are Jesus' words from the gospel reading that we just read, and they're the key to the question that I'm going to ask you today. Why are you here? I'm really serious about that question. Why are you here? Why are we here? Why is Good Shepherd here? There has to be an answer. And I really doubt that as nice as the bounce houses and the tent and the food and the picnic all are, that the reason you're here today is just because of that. The vast majority of the people in this room have been coming with some regularity since we started having in-person services again last June in 2020. The rest of you, by and large, have been coming with some regularity since, oh, Easter or so. And if there weren't an answer to my question, then you would probably be one of the many, more that I really care to count, who have simply ghosted us, who won't answer phone calls or emails or accept a visit. You might even be one of those extremely honest people who have looked at me or Father Fred and said, you know, we just got out of the habit of coming to church during the pandemic. And we didn't like all that line online stu stuff. And it turns out that not going to church hasn't made that much difference in our lives. Like I said, they're really honest anyway. But it's really important that each one of us is able to answer that question for ourselves and for the community gathered here as Good Shepherd. If we cannot answer it, we will be unable to help our children and our grandchildren see the value of committing their lives and their time to Christ and to their faith. If we cannot answer it, we're going to be hard-pressed to find a reason why anyone should return when the church-going habit has been broken. Now, I've talked to you enough to know that many of you see your faith as a very private thing, something that it is unnecessary to discuss, even in your own home. And I know that some of you are hoping that your children will come to an adult understanding of the faith without having very much, if any, input from you. You don't want to color their decisions. You want to give them space and respect their ability to make their own choices. And certainly, absolutely certainly, you should respect your children. But while they are children, you have been charged with their care, with their keeping, and with their instruction. And they need all three of those things. You know, speaking as a mother, I have to tell you that I'm pretty sure that hoping that your children will learn to value something that you never speak to them about is not going to turn out the way you hope. It's just not. Children learn something is of value when their parents talk to them about it, when their parents insist that it is value. 
Think about it. Whatever child do you know who's developed a passionate fondness for green vegetables, even the tough ones like asparagus or green peppers or lima beans, but has never seen one on their plate? Has there ever been a student who looked at an unopened algebra book sitting on the bookshelf at home and was suddenly gifted with a complete understanding of the gateway to higher mathematics? Has any child ever learned to read without learning their alphabet? So it is with our faith. So if there's so much to at stake, how do we go about answering that question? Why are we here? Why do we show up on Sunday mornings? So the best way I could think of to answer that question is to share with you a little bit about why I'm here. Not about why I was called to be your priest here at Good Shepherd. That's a story about listening to a trusted mentor and to the longing of my own heart, and it's for another day. What I want to talk to you about is why I'm an Episcopalian Christian and why I am here in this place and would be every Sunday even if I weren't wearing this collar. Like most Episcopalians, I didn't grow up in the Episcopal Church. It's true. Look around you. More than half of the people in this room did not grow up in the Episcopal Church. And even if you did, look at your spouse, because I bet you they didn't. And that's even more true of our clergy. Did you know that more than 80% of Episcopal clergy grew up in another denomination? I know Episcopal clergy who were raised as Jews, as Muslims, as Baptists, Church of Christ, Catholic, and even some Methodists like me and Father Fred. I even know some who were raised with no faith at all. But their stories and their, my story about how they came into the Episcopal Church have some common elements, elements I've heard repeated by lay people as well as clergy over the years. And that's why I'm going to share my story with you this morning. It's not because my story is important. It absolutely is not. But it's not an unusual story. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a church, in a family that went to church every week or said grace at every meal. I know that some of you have an idea that priests grow up very pious from the time that they can stand. But I didn't. It wasn't my background. We went to church when two little girls had Sunday shoes that fit them and clean white socks and a suitable dress. My mother needed a suitable hat, and if she didn't have one, we got dropped off for Sunday school. My father didn't darken the doors of the church very much at all. My sister and I sang in the children's choir, and occasionally we would get invited to sing duets for the old ladies' Sunday school class. I don't remember seeing a lot of baptisms in church, but I really liked watching communion when it came around once a quarter. 
When I was growing, uh, growing up, you see, in the Methodist church, you weren't permitted to receive communion until you had been confirmed. But even as a child, I would sit there and I would listen to that story about how Jesus fed his disciples and then I would watch the people come forward and they would get a wafer and a little shot glass of grape juice and kneel at the altar rail and it seemed to me so important because they looked like it was important and it seemed to me that it was special. And I couldn't wait for the day when I would be confirmed because receiving that wafer and that little bit of grape juice was going to be so special and so important for me. Now, as it happened, we moved twice during the normal years when children went through confirmation in the Methodist church, and so I never went. And then for reasons that I don't remember anymore, we really didn't go to church during high school. But at 19, the minister finally looked at me and said, I give up. You're too old for confirmation class. We're just going to receive you as an adult. And so for the very first time that morning, I got to take communion. It was special. But somewhere, somewhere deep inside of me, I just felt like there needed to be more to it. Couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't name it. But somehow, it didn't quite work out. Then I went off to college. Well, I was already in college. And I attended chapel occasionally. And, well, if I hadn't been out too late on Saturday night, and I even toyed at one point with taking Hebrew at the Hillel House on campus because Judaism fascinated me and I thought it made so much more sense than all that Christian stuff about resurrection and miracles and the Trinity. But I liked the organ and the Gothic architecture of the chapel. And so I would go occasionally even though the dean of the chapel had a habit of giving marching orders to Jesus every Sunday morning. In senior year, I got talked into having, well, I had to finish a humanities class in order to graduate. It was one of those things, you know, you get caught up in your major, and all of a sudden you realize, whoops, <laughs> I can take all these extra credits, but if I don't take that course, they're not going to give me my diploma. And so I got talked into taking a New Testament course. I really didn't want to take it. I thought it was going to be the most boring thing I had ever done. And I was stunned. I sat in that class and realized that there was far more to my faith than I had ever known. And this was something I could spend the rest of my life studying, and I would never reach the bottom of it. So... I didn't know quite what to do with that. So I left college. I got married. I had a career in advertising. And I raised three children. And I went to the local Methodist church. In my free time, I went to Bible studies. And I, I tried to figure out if I really had what it took to get into graduate school. Ultimately, I did go to graduate school as a Methodist. 
and I was ordained a Methodist deacon. And still, even after I was ordained, something deep inside of me was looking for something. It was longing for something that I, I just couldn't put my finger on. Something that would help me feel the presence of God. Something that would make the sacraments come alive. And the fall after I was ordained, for reasons that involve yet a different story to be told another day, I decided I would start attending the Episcopal Church that was four blocks from the Methodist Church that I was serving. I would go on Sunday morning to the Methodist Church to teach and to preach and to serve communion, and then on Sunday evenings, I would go where no one knew me for Evensong and for Holy Eucharist. I would walk into the chapel at that church, and suddenly I was home. There was peace for me in that place. And I would listen to the liturgy and I would read the prayers and the words would pour down over me and I would stand and sing and kneel. And in the soft darkness of the chapel, I received the body and blood of our Lord and I felt fed way down deep in the middle of me in a way I had never been fed before. That Christmas Eve, we had four services in the Methodist Church. We served communion at each one of them, and I assisted at all of them. And all day, I found myself trying to figure out how I could squeeze in yet another service over at the Episcopal Church so that I could have real Eucharist. And then I knew I had to make a choice. So, three weeks later, I was confirmed in the bishop's chapel, and that very same day I resigned my Methodist orders. Why tell you that long story? Because like many Episcopalians, my story is a story about a half-understood longing for something more when I came to church, something deeper, something that had wasn't exactly all about preaching, because good preaching is pretty easy to find in the Methodist Church. Something that I couldn't quite name. It's a story of wandering and questioning, of turning away and turning back to the faith, of testing and of dissatisfaction. And finally, it's a story of homesickness and homecoming of peace and rest and being fed, nourished in a deep, deep spiritual sense. And it's a story of being found by the Lord, of knowing that every time I enter this space, I will experience the presence of God. I will be held in his hands, and I will be fed with Christ's body and blood. I will be given the bread of life. And in its grace, I will be able to stand up straight, step forward, and lean into that which I was created to be. I've heard countless similar stories. I've heard similar stories from a lot of you. 
I've even heard those stories from people who came to the Episcopal Church because all they were looking for was a middle ground between the denomination he grew, grew up in and the denomination that she grew up in. And those stories, though, always seem to end with some sentence like, I knew when I walked in. I knew that I was at home. I could just feel it. There was peace there. And I think that is an experience that we Episcopalians can and should offer to the world. It's one that we don't often appreciate. But we can look at people, all of us can, and say, do you struggle with life, with your faith? So have we. So do we. But we can offer you rest and the presence of God when you're in this place every Sunday. Is there a restlessness in your heart, a, a sort of homesickness or heart sickness that you can't quite put your finger on? We're here because we felt that feeling. Listen to the words and the prayers and the words of the liturgy. The ancient words that the church has used for nearly 2,000 years to point to the great mystery of our lives in God. Let them write themsel themselves on your heart. Come, be at home with us. Come, let Christ nourish you with his body and his blood and be transformed. One of the greatest gifts of our tradition is that we can say those things, that we can bring the best of other traditions together and draw so many people together because we come for the presence of God and the body and blood of our Savior. They're the great gifts of the Episcopal Church, and it's the reason why any Episcopal Church exists. And I think we place too little value on them. For many of us, <coughs> excuse me, Christian denominations are as interchangeable as fast food hamburgers. But you know what? We've been given this gift. It's a magnificent gift. It's a tradition of, and a teaching that welcomes the wanderer, the searcher, and the heartsick, and it gives them shelter. We pour over them the words of Scripture and the prayers. We invite them to learn and study with us, to freely offer themselves to Christ and to his work in the world, and they find that they have come home. And our job is to be formed in these gifts, <coughs> excuse me, to be formed by these gifts and then to share them with others, to invite others to be as we have been taught by the presence of God here among us to ascend to holy and to get caught up in the glory of Christ. If you've noticed the captions that are on the beautiful posters out in the hall, you will have read that we are a people who are discipled for action, discipled for community, discipled for worship, and discipled for formation. In short, we are a people who are discipled, taught by God, as Jesus says, to do the work of Christ in the world. 
If we don't do those things, if we sit passively and keep it all to ourselves, then we have turned our back on the one who planted the church in this place, and we will have turned our back on the one who brought us here and said, come child, let me help you find a place that will be your home. There's a really short question, or answer to the question of why Good Shepherd is here. Good Shepherd is here to be in this place, a community where the lost and the found can be at home, where those who want something that feeds their soul and their spirit will be fed and where they will experience the presence of God and know the grace of the sacraments. That's why God planted this church here, to be that kind of place. The question remains, however, why are you here? Amen.